Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Our guest this week, Laura Sanko, thinks that you should get punched in the face. Okay, not that you should, but that everyone has the fortitude deep within them to physically fight. This is something that she found in herself at a young age and has carried with her throughout her MMA career and training. Now she extends those same learning lessons into her work with novice athletes with the program Wimp to Warrior. Here it is, episode 545. The greatest moment of that whole thing was um, right as like the preseason ended. You know, usually it's actually this week we have that week off, and then the you know practice starts. So they'd always give everybody a little bit of time off. So Tony and all them, everybody like went home. I stayed, and uh, Kyle Turley hits me up, and he's like, "Hey, uh, the guys from Nickelback are finishing their tour, and I know the guy that does their pyrotechnics. Do you want to go to dinner with them?" So we went to this like big like thing uh-huh. that was in uh, God. What's the steakhouse right there on the plaza? Oh, Plaza 3? Yeah, Plaza 3. So it was downstairs in Plaza 3. They had this huge thing. And so we were hanging out just like at a steakhouse. And then uh, we ended up meeting the dudes from Nickelback, which is hilarious because my mom's from Canada, from Lethbridge, uh, which is just across the border, like Medicine Hat, Lethbridge, like South and Calgary. And those dudes dudes are from that area. So we ended up connecting on that. We ended up going to that club with the dudes from Nickelback. And there was like, it was like a Tuesday night. Nobody was there. And then all of a sudden there was like, fucking thousands of people there. Uh, I end up uh, drinking too much, shocker. I headbutt Chad Kroger and split his eye open and he gets like a dozen stitches. And then he tackles me on a table. We start this fucking melee in the middle of the club or the bar and then security breaks it all up. We leave and then I had to go to the concert the next day and he's at the show. His fucking eye is all fucked up and he's like, you son of a bitch. That is fantastic. So that was a good wow. Nickelback story. That's why I've, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of their music, but I'm a fan of Nickelback after I fucking battled Well, you with have them. to be after that. Yeah. And I'm like, how many people, like everybody hates Chad Kroger. I'm like, I split his head open with a headbutt. Fuck you. Yeah. And he was cool about it. Yeah. And was just like a, a, a total drunk redneck cowboy that was like stoked that somebody did that to him and then yeah. wanted to take a shot on me. And I'm like, fucking bring it. I'll take any shot you Love throw. It. There's a rumor that the song Burn It to the Ground on the album Dark Horse in 2008 is written about that moment, John. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a song. I just had to find a song that looked the most like <laughs> somebody's like burning something. Real. Yeah, it no. sounds like it could be very real. How did you get into this whole MMA thing? I mean, uh, were you a fighter? Like, how did this yeah. whole thing uh, kind of transpire? And then I was kind of peeping out some of the stuff you're doing with uh, Dana White, you know, Fight Contender and yeah. all that. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, I think like many things in life, it's been a twisty, windy, complicated journey um, that's hard to encapsulate. But I guess the quickest way to say it is like, I grew up doing martial arts like a lot of people's kids grew up doing martial arts. You know, you put your kid in karate. I never really competed, though. I just I loved doing the martial art for the sake of doing martial arts. And then uh, what I, style I, did you start in? Okinawan Kento Karate. OK. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah Shotokan. So we yeah. did Shotokan. Yeah. yeah. I went through the the whole system, did the whole thing and um, got my black belt right around the time when I graduated from high school and just, you know, college came. I got busy being in college and doing the things you do in college. Um, And then after college, I had uh, just a really tough period in my personal life. And I remember like how much I enjoyed just having a physical outlet. I was never an athlete growing up. Never. I'm still not an athlete. That's something that I have a very hard time ever calling myself. I I try hard. I'm scrappy. I'm a good worker, but 
natural athleticism is not something anyone would ever tag me with. Um, but I remembered how nice it was to have a physical outlet. So when I was kind of going through that, I was like, man, I need to find another outlet. I need to find another martial art. And I wanted to kind of up the, up the ante a bit, a little bit less forms and less punching at the air and more, you know, really getting my hands on some people. So I just kind of stumbled into this gym on the plaza, actually, around 2006, uh, where one of the OGs of Kansas City MMA, a guy named Rob Kimmins, happened to be rolling around with this other guy. And I saw him working out and, you know, I had been watching MMA. I'd been a fan of pride and all that stuff. And I was like, oh man, that's cool. I wonder if they teach classes here. And they didn't, they, those two were just like working out for fun, but I kept showing up and like doing my lady weights in the corner. And I'm like, you know, looking at that corner, I'm like, I really want to be over there doing that. And it took a long time for me to convince them to let me be their student. But it was a great way to start because essentially the first year I just had like this, a private instructor for hours a day for like the, a full, a full year. So my, my, you know, skill set took off pretty quickly. And then obviously having a base already, but yeah, that's how I got into MMA. And then man, the journey from that to where I am now is a whole nother story. <laughs> well, I mean, we have this podcast and we'd love to hear right. Well, I mean, I will fucking dig in. I'm uh, <laughs> believe me. I, I'll, and if anybody listens to this podcast knows, I love a long story with lots of details. You know, okay. everybody's like, oh, give me the abbreviated version. I'm like, no, give me everything. I want to hear it. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, be careful what you wish for. Bring it. Um, so I loved the training and I loved, man, MMA is one of those things that will, it just like seeps into your bones and it does it for me anyway, it did something to my psychology, my psyche when I would train, even if I would have a shitty day of training and just completely feel like I got nothing right there's something about getting it all out that is still very therapeutic and cathartic. So I just became addicted to that feeling. And I just, I trained so much and so hard. And then I moved, I, I joined briefly uh, the best gym that you could here in Kansas city, which at the time was called grindhouse MMA. And there were pro fighters here. Now, none of them were guys you'd know the names of, but they were pros, you know, and it was right around the time when, James Krause, who is now the head coach of what has become Glory MMA and Fitness, um, was having some like higher level pro success. It was still pretty early in his pro career. So he was like a big deal at the gym. And I wanted to be at the gym where he was. And it was also where that guy I mentioned before, Rob Kimmins, was training. So I trained there for a little bit. But then my my actual life, my career, which was actually in startup finance, I was in the, the venture capital world. That part of my life, one of the companies that I was representing and then later joined got funded by a firm out in Silicon Valley and they needed me to move to New York City to start this company up. It was a web-based whole thing. Like you need to move to New York City all by yourself. So I did that in my early twenties, didn't know a single person, lived in a 700 square foot apartment paying $4,000 a month in rent Sounds um, right. in the city. I'm not exaggerating. No, I, I believe you. I know. Those are accurate numbers. Um, and it was another really tough thing. Like I didn't know anyone and New York is an amazing place and I love it so much, but it's really hard when you're, you know, Midwest girl from Kansas city, you don't know anybody. And not only that, like I didn't have an office to show, to show up to. I didn't have coworkers to mingle with and get to know. I was out there by myself trying to do this thing. So it was really, I felt really isolated and 
kind of went back into another, you know, depression. And again, I was like, man, I know what has worked for me in the past. I know what I can try to do to get myself out of this. And I just found an MMA gym that happened to be within walking distance of my apartment. It was called Fight House um, in, in, in Manhattan. And I showed up and I said, you guys teach MMA? And they, they did. It was really funny because it was like this old, dirty, nasty boxing gym, like with the wood floors and this cracking paint and stains everywhere. And Sounds like most, my type of place. Yeah, it was great. Mostly yeah. boxing and Muay Thai. And then in the corner, because you got to remember, MMA was not even legal in New York at this point. So there's no amateur scene. Uh, in the corner, there's like a mat space that I swear to God is 12 by 12. They're like, okay, this is where we teach our MMA classes. And the so first day you like, get ringworm and you're like, have anybody ever cleaned these oh, fucking things? Yes. I got, there are many, the boxing ring was worse because we would do sit-ups in there and it was a running joke. Like how many, how many, how much ringworm and how much staff am I going to get today versus <laughs> I did Yeah. Um, I but uh, that's, so again, I sort of poured myself into the sport, um, had some good coaches there, good training partners. Um, funny story. I would sometimes jump into the Muay Thai classes there uh, just for another, an extra workout. And there was this girl that was a little bit bigger than me, but about my size and a female. So we'd always, you know, get paired up to hold the tie pads for each other. And uh, I didn't know her that well, but we would chit chat and she was super nice. She, she hadn't fought amateur yet. I hadn't fought amateur yet. We're just doing our thing. And it's Angela Hill. And oh. I don't know if you know who that is, but uh, she's a well-known you know, UFC strawweight at this point has uh, had an amazing career. She was Invicta FC strawweight champion. So I know Angela from like before either of us had a glimmer of, of doing the things we're doing. So um, just a little, you said details. I'm providing details. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I, I like, uh, so when I was uh, in high school, we used to train with a dude named Nono Labonsier, who was like a, a French dude, did uh, taught boxing and stand up. His son's an MMA fighter now. And his daughter, I think, is like one of the top jujitsu players in the world. Um, but, uh, we would go down to the Gracie studio over in Torrance, which, uh, where, I mean, the original Gracie stuff right on, uh, right on Carson and which was actually like right around the corner from my dad's law office. But there was like an all you can eat Japanese food restaurant called Todai. And we'd like, we'd be like, Hey, we're going to go down to that place. I'm like, we're gonna get our ass beat. But as long as we get to go eat the all you can eat, uh, sushi, I'm game. So it was like (laughs) this payoff. And it's, uh, it's hilarious now that like to think of how far, and that would have been like 1994, 95 you know, when we were doing that. And so now to see like, and then I remember seeing like the first UFC, you know, when the Gracie's came out and like that whole thing and to see where it's come is fucking astronomical, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's a really wild to see how much the sport has grown and everything that surrounds it too. I mean, has just exploded in the past seven years in particular, I would say. Um, so, well, well, it's cause boxing kind of like, so I, I grew up a boxing fan and when I was younger, uh, we got into martial arts and then I thought kicking was stupid. So I wanted to get into boxing and I had this like vision. I wanted to be a professional boxer and I was like, man, there can be a, a, a white heavyweight. But, uh, so we religiously watched boxing and it just got so ridiculous and I blame the glitch goes for it. But like there was this whole kind of like bad time of boxing where it just sucked yeah. And it's like, you know, now with like, uh, you know, Big Gypsy and you got uh, um, Anthony Joshua. I mean, you have some legit heavyweights. I mean, like the like the, you know, like the lightweights and that stuff has always yeah. been good. But like of, Jake Paul, I mean, legit, legit. <laughs> oh, did you did you word, use the word legit with the Pauls? 
no, no, like legit. I'm obviously being very oh, I know, I know. You don't have to go down that rabbit hole. He's actually not that bad, but I had to throw that out. There. I, I know. I uh, did. Uh, <laughs> I believe he retired well, on top. And he unretired. So, so I can't. Uh, I can't pay the money because I can't invest into that. Like, I feel like if I'm investing the money, I'll support it, but I'll yeah. watch it. And like the only, the first thing I thought was like, this is fucking the fix. I mean, he got fucking hammered. There's no way he wins that in the decision. I mean, you can't have hometown judges with a hometown dude. Like two of the judges were from the, the city and his, you know, it's just a bad deal. And yeah. I'm like, there's no way he fucking wins that. Yeah. So, did. and he did. Well, I mean, there's winning and then there's winning. He won. Uh, well, he wins because he gets he, paid. He, and listen, he he was much more active. I was I love Tyron. Tyron's my guy. Yeah. But it it was I was watching that just like pulling my hair out. Like Tyron, fucking throw! Like you're you're every time you would connect, it was having some amount of effect on Jake. And Tyron's an athlete, and yeah. it was just like, come on, pull the trigger. Well, so, do, I mean, do you, do you think like I, so what's interesting and I think different than MMA is like in boxing, you learn like if, if a dude's hitting you with, uh, you know, like one or two big blows, like dudes go to the clinch, like yeah. that's how you fucking protect yourself. And that, you know, whereas in MMA, if you clinch, you're going to get fucking beat. So like, I sometimes wonder when these guys come over from boxing, if they don't like, uh, the muscle memory, the time of like, you know, going in, throwing, you know, a couple bigs, going in for the clinch, pushing them, letting the you know, the, the, uh, uh, the ref come in, separate people taking shots. Like I wonder yeah. if like the cadence is fucked up. So those guys for their first professional fight who've come from the MMA world, it's just, it's like, Oh shit, I'm here now. I mean, you saw it with McGregor when he went into it, he just wasn't, you know, he just wasn't prepared for that piece. Yeah. I think you use the perfect word cadence and it, it is a very different, um, cadence and that's a real thing. Like you can obviously Tara Lily knows how to throw some nasty punches and put together some really beautiful combinations and he moves well, but it's just a different, it's a different frame of mind. It's almost like the muscle memory of the way that you think about being in a fight. He has too many decades of thinking about a fight in a certain context. And even though he's got all the tools in the world, the, the interstitial of, of putting those tools together and using them at the appropriate times just maybe wasn't there. And I don't know why, I don't know when he got a little bit gun shy, but man, I, I wish the best for him. I love Tyron. I think he's- Could it be the awesome. gloves? I mean, cause uh, um, you, you obviously know the difference in terms yeah. of like, you know, like when you're hit with like the light gloves, like in MMA, it's one thing, but mm -hmm. when you get hit with like 16 ounce gloves, the stunning effect. And like, I always think like, uh, you know, the, these are intangibles that unfortunately uh, the talking heads never, you know, I mean, it, it's always funny. Like it's so- it's so few in boxing where the guys that are doing the commentating legitimately have any fucking chops. Whereas I feel like in MMA, you have a, you know, dude like Joe Rogan and some yeah. of the other guys that legitimately could fuck some people up. So they have like a personal point of view, but boxing, it's usually old white men that have never fought a fucking day. Yeah. And so as like, I'm listening to commentating. I'm like, you know, the, uh, the fact that here he's having to wear these big gloves. And even though he's done training, just like the, the, you know, the stunning effect of getting hit, coming in on the clinch and normally in MMA when the clinch comes up, you know, somebody's going to go to the ground, somebody's going to get tossed, somebody's going to get a hit. But then, you know, like when that happens, that's almost like the reset to push him aside. So I'm just always thinking like, if this is his first professional fight, like how, like you said, like how many of the instincts is he going against thinking like, Oh fuck, I'm in a clinch. I'm going to fucking cut this dude's eye open with my elbow. Oh shit. I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Even if it's a, a microsecond where your brain wants to go in direction, you have to like 
you know, steer it back. Oh, no, 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 we're on this path right now. Those, that's a real thing. And, and, and the defense too is so different with big, bigger gloves. Some would say it's easier, but regardless of whether it's easier or harder, it's different. And the fact that it's different is going to make you spend just that much more time thinking about what it is. So yeah, I, I agree with you that that definitely could have been a factor for sure. Yeah. It's uh, no, it's, I mean, seeing legitimate boxers is, is good. Seeing that is just, I mean, uh, the only reason he's challenging these dudes is because he knows he's taking them out of her element. So that makes, you know, there's no way he wants to get into a rematch like a year yeah. from now when that dude, all he's going to do is fight seven days a week. There's no way he's going to do that. Yeah. No, that's it's very, very accurate. You know, I, I have mixed feelings about it. Part of me is like, you know what? It's hard to hate on someone who has figured out a way to make a, a cool buck and get a lot of eyeballs and, you know, do these crazy things that have really only been possible to do within the last couple of years because of social media and, and the presence of these celebrities and stars and personalities that are coming out of the woodwork, you know, on Instagram and on YouTube. And you can be an actual famous person without ever having been, having learned to trade. So, and that's, it, it's, you, we all, I think, have a tendency to hate on those people. But if, if I'm being honest, like making yourself a famous person is kind of a trade in and of itself, regardless of how you do it, whether it's, you know, booty pics and looking pretty on, you know, taking pictures and or it's saying wild things and chugging beers like the Nelk boys do, I, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, but like it's just like, I, I don't know, maybe as an ex-NFL player, it's disingenuous, whereas like I like I love that uh, Conor McGregor has taken like the complete, uh, you know, mix of like Muhammad Ali slash, uh, you know, Money Mayweather slash, uh, you know, um, Apollo Creed and like mix this whole thing up into this like epic shit talking thing. Like I was, I was reading like him and Nate Diaz going back and forth. I mean, it's just like, it's so classic. It's almost like a movie. I mean, and McGregor's entire persona, like it's so fucking like, you know, dynamic. He's over there showing his like, you know, $20 million fucking Lamborghini yacht and the next one and the next one, you know, it's just, it's fucking fantastic. It's, uh, I mean, but at the end of the day, like that dude legitimately gets in the ring and, you know, I mean, fucking shatters his leg. I mean, you know, if his legs fucked up, he's still doing leg kicks. So it's not like he's got any fucking, you know, uh, I guess you could say like cowardice in him. I mean, he's a legitimate dude. And even Jake Paul and his yeah. brother, I mean, those dudes are legitimately getting in the ring, which is something that 99.9% of the people in the world will never do. So you have to just give them respect for that. Now I look at it and think, well, you know, here's all the intangibles and I can hate on for their stupid tattoos or whatnot. Sure. But at the end of the day, sure. they're fucking strapping it up on game day and going out there and fighting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And I, I, same thing. I, I think a lot of us wanted to believe that Jake would be terrible and have zero skill. And the fact is, you know, he's pretty good. And he looks like he puts in the work and yep. you know, he's got the, he's got the heart of a fighter. It seems like so far, which is, you know, it's still very early, but you know, good for him. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, the age old, like, Hey, uh, you know, if you want to prove yourself, here's the proving ground. Those guys have created it. Uh, I do like the, uh, the banter with him and Dana White. Where he's yeah. telling him that he's going to beat up Dana White at the club, and Dana White's like, "Fuck you, get in line." Everybody wants to kick my ass. And then he made the joke, and he's like, "Well, I am in my 50s, so technically I'm in the price or uh, age yeah. range of fighters that he fights." Yeah. Oh shit! I yeah. like like you're not talking shit to Dana White after all this. I mean, he's uh, I mean, this is what he does. He's fucking good at it. Yeah, yeah, 
exactly. Yeah. You, no one's gonna no one's gonna get one over on Dana in terms of talking shit. And that guy has the thickest skin in the entire world. It literally, he's he's been attacked from every possible given angle, and you know, water off a duck's back at this point. You know, he just he doesn't give a fuck. No, I. Fucking Dana White fan. Take us back to to the journey that led to you meeting Dana and and where yeah. we are today. Yeah. So um, let me try and remember where I was. So I came back to Kansas City at one point after being in New York for two years and rejoined the gym that I had been at before with James Krause and that old crew. Um, and just really dumped dumped all my energy into training. And that was a very like, hey, if you're gonna be in this gym we fight, you know, and they, they kept saying like, at least take one amateur fight to tell your grandkids about. It was mo- almost more of a bet than anything, not a bet, but they were just sort of like goading me into it. And my first amateur fight, I'll never forget it. Like I, I was in such a bad spot early in that fight. She had me mounted. It was just absolutely pummeling my face in. And I remember, I'll never forget hearing James. I was in the, I was in my corner near him and I was like smashed up against the cage and he's like talking me through this position. I'm questioning everything. And then I was, I was able to flip her, uh, flip the situation around and I got on top of her and, and, you know, made her verbally tap to strikes, which I think the thing that people don't talk enough about in MMA is how much of a euphoric, crazy drug it is on some crazy primal level to subdue another human being with what is essentially it's not really but essentially your bare hands like it's a wild ass feeling wild and i would say like from that moment on i was like oh my god i'm so i'm so in on this uh and that was the beginning of the amateur career i had a bunch of amateur fights i think i went like six and one as an amateur um and then what year was this uh, 2010 through 29 2009 through 2012, I think, roughly speaking. So, so what's what's kind of blowing me away is I remember when, uh, like the uh, like the female division and MMA was kind of starting. People were totally mm-hmm. against it, and like, uh, and I'm I'm probably gonna get hate mail for this, but a little bit like kind of like watching WNBA, where yeah. you're like, uh, like I've, have you watched a WNBA game? Like some, like it's, it's, oh, well, I mean, a visitor boy, Zilner, and yeah, his so Texas women's team. What's yeah. kind of interesting is like, it's like, there's a few really good players and then there's a lot of like not good players. Mm-hmm. And like, it's kind of interesting to watch the flow of it. And I think that was at least when I saw like a women's division, I'm like, ah, but, uh, I'll tell you, uh, I have never in my life been more shocked and yeah. more amazed and just fucking thrilled by seeing some of the, uh, the female fights for the fact that, uh, these girls come out with something to prove. And yeah. they're not shy about taking the shots and like all fucking business to the point where if like we get any of the UFC fights, like I want to watch the female undercards. I'm always, and I, I have twin daughters. So I'm like always trying to get my girls. I'm like, you guys got to watch yeah. this. These girls are absolute fucking hammers. No, that's, you hit the nail on the head. I think this sport has always attracted, of course, I mean, naturally you, you only do this sport if you're a certain type of person, right? I mean, there are types within the type, but like, takes a special person to want to sign up for this type of thing. And the women in particular, I feel like we always felt like we had something to prove when we would go out there. And it was that stereotype of like, no, this isn't going to be, I'm not going to be out there, you know, doing this. This isn't oil wrestling. This isn't some sideshow. Like I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do 
what, what you expect to see from the guys. So there was always a chip on, I think, every single one of our shoulders when we would go out there. And you could see that in the female fights, especially early on. Um, and man, there were women doing MMA way, way, way before the UFC got on board. You know, and at that point, there was, of course, Invicta before the UFC sure. you know, had women. But even before Invicta, you know, Strikeforce had the fight with Chris Cyborg and Gina Carano. But even before that, in Japan, you had women like Megumi Fuji who were like destroying girls. It was there's this whole wild history of women's MMA that, that's so fascinating to me. But what I love about MMA, I love many things about MMA. But one of the things I love is what you said earlier, and that is it's the only sport I can think of where men and women are truly presented on the same platform. They fight on the same cards. They fight right after each other, right? And they're, women are main events. That, that doesn't happen in other sports. You don't have NBA, WNBA, men's tennis, women's tennis. You know, it's not, it, it's not segregated. And I think that that has really opened a lot of people's eyes to women as athletes beyond MMA, truly. I mean, I think what Rhonda did, affected more than just women fighters it, it, it went well beyond that and i think it has touched other sports and and created a lot of opportunities uh for women in sports in general so yeah i'm a i'm a i'm a big fan of mma and i'm a big fan of the ufc for having the foresight and and frankly i will say this dana didn't want it at the beginning did he but but how awesome that he changed his mind. There are yeah. so many people yeah. who take a stance and they think that, you know, he probably thought he had great reasons and maybe he did at the time. You know what I mean? Like the fact is women's MMA is, is years behind men's MMA. It's a younger sport in many ways. Um, yeah. He, he came out and was like, we don't want this. And I yeah. remember, and then like Ronda Rousey came and yeah. she was so dominant. And I'll tell you uh, like the moment that I knew women's MMA was going to explode was uh, like Ronda was so dominant. And I was thinking like, oh, it's just the WNBA thing where you got a few really good players and just a bunch of ducks. And um, and then all of a sudden Holly Holm comes out, who's a boxer and absolutely fucking lights yeah. her up. And at that point it was like any given day, anytime yeah. you come out here, like you can be the best in the world and uh, you know, you don't have a, a stand up game and all of a sudden now you're just going to get fucking struck and knocked out. And she got yeah. like Holly Holm obliterated her. I mean, I don't think she ever came back from it. And now she, you know, went WWE and all yeah. that kind of like tailed off. But like that moment is when I realized I was like, dude, this is going to be big because anytime you step in the cage, it doesn't matter what the hype is. It's kind of like the guys like Conor McGregor comes in with all this, gets beat. This guy gets beat, you know, and it's like, you know, this guy comes in, you know, 10 wins and all of a sudden comes in and gets knocked out in the first round. And I think that's what I like about it. And I think why the public has embraced it is because you don't necessarily know the outcome. And it doesn't, you know, it's not like, it's like if I turn on a Mayweather fight, I know he's going to fucking win, yeah. right? He's yeah. going to dance. He's going to play defense. He's never going to take a big blow. Yeah. He's going to do all the sweet shit. He's got yeah. 30 years of doing this. His dad did it. His uncle did it. He knows. I mean, he's, his name is promoting the fucking fight. So you know who the winner is going to be. And I think with MMA, you don't, I mean, you know, it, and it's like, it's just like the NFL, any given Sunday, anybody can win. The uh, yeah. first women's ufc match february 23rd 2013 yep yeah it was an amazing moment i'll never forget it like it was crazy to see that first walkout liz carmouche and uh and then ronda came out second it was, it was really really cool and really validating uh in some ways but 
for me, it's been kind of a, it's kind of been kind of an interesting thing because part of the reason why I ended up doing the things I'm doing is that they they still don't have my division. So uh, when I was fighting, I fought at 105 pounds, which is called an atom weight, and it's the only women's division that the UFC doesn't have. And although an argument can be made that they don't. How have tall it. are you? How tall? I'm five five. You're five 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 one oh five. Uh huh. I mean, I don't walk around. I walk around at like one twenty now. Yeah, and I was going to say that's a hell of a weight like, cut. Yeah, I mean, I was probably I probably walked around at like one fifteen, and it was still. I mean, ten pounds to a guy is like I wake up and do that, but ten yeah. pounds to that size, it was that's nine. Lot. That's nine ten percent of your body weight. Yeah, it was a lot. It was tough. It was super super. I've had some rough cuts for sure. Um, but point being, uh, th- them adding the women just exploded the possibilities in the sport both as a fighter and you know and on the on the television side of things as well so so in uh in terms of like training and i you know like i always think about like a hierarchy like you know you started in okinawan kempo and then you kind of went in after getting a black belt and then you went in and all of a sudden you obviously knew kicks you knew stand up uh you know the okinawan stuff is usually pretty brutal like a lot of leg kicks and a lot of hits and then you obviously had to learn uh, a ground game so i sometimes wonder like what's the like what's the ideal path? Uh, it seems like a lot of guys, you know, high school wrestler, um, you know, and then all of a sudden, then they start picking up other skills. Uh, whereas the guys that come from a boxing background tend to struggle a little bit on their backs. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes think, like, you know, if you were going to design or say, hey, like, what's the what's the right progression in terms of like how to get somebody into uh, you know to be a proficient, maybe a, a challenger within the UFC. Well, I mean, anymore, the answer to that is you train MMA from day one. You know, that wasn't a real thing until maybe realistically a few years ago. A few years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, but now, I mean, like the, I'm, I'm at glory MMA and fitness right now. Cause I'm about to go hit pads, but like the kids program here is massive. It's huge. And parents are starting to see mixed martial arts as a real as a martial you know, art. Like, yeah. Well, we can sign them up for Taekwondo. We can sign them up for karate. We can sign them for jujitsu. We can sign them up for MMA. And, you know, one of my, we were, you know, talking before Summer's son, uh, Summer Yonkin's son takes MMA here. And it's a real, it's, it's its own thing now. So, I mean, the, I know what you're getting at in terms of like, what do I feel like is maybe the most important cornerstone martial art? And if I were to answer that, I would say that probably wrestlers have the biggest advantage um, coming into MMA. And I think it has equal parts to do with their technical proficiency and their mindset and their ability to grind and push. And like wrestlers are just, they are, they're ground. They are, I was going to say grounded to the ground. They're grinded into the ground. <laughs> no, they're, uh, my, my vocabulary betrayed me there. They're, no, they're, uh, I played with Steve Neal, uh, yeah. who was a, you know, wrestler. I mean, um, uh, was it uh, uh, Pollock? Um, he was another wrestler. He's one of the guys who follows our program that lives here. We went hunting with him. Um, I mean, dude, but just always salt of the earth and just fucking hard workers and like just kind of impervious to fucking anything. Just yeah. durable human beings. Like you don't get yeah. to a high level in that without being extremely durable. And good learners. Good learners. You know, they're, they're very coachable. You know, as are football players, right? Like very coachable. You know, just tell me what to do, coach, and I'll, I'll do it. Whereas, I don't know, maybe sometimes – boxers or strikers have a little bit more, I don't know, I'm really generalizing here, but like a little bit more flash and flair and like, no, I'm a, I don't know, I'm I'm struggling to find the right way to phrase it, but I feel like 
wrestlers and football players come in with a very humble, like, teach me what to do coach and, and strikers are a little bit more like, no, no, I got this. I, I know my stuff type attitude, which is a wild generalization, I realize, But yeah, I think wrestling um, is, is a very important cornerstone. And man, the number of girls getting into wrestling now is like, is so exciting and our Olympic, you know, gold medal, like, it's just crazy to see the growth of that sport as well. Well, I, I think uh, what people really struggle with is um, somebody basically on top of you. Like, like that's like a weird thing. Like, like in football, you get kind of used to what we call playing in a phone booth where you're just surrounded, people are on you. If yeah. you're like at the bottom of the pile, you got 20 people laying on you, you just kind of relax. And I think with wrestling, people get used to like being in comfortable positions and what. And what I found with, especially with like the boxing and the striker dudes, like that's something you have to learn pretty early on. Uh, you know, and that's why I think anytime you've ever seen uh, you know, but I mean, it's, it's not a hundred percent true. I mean, look at Holly Holm, right? She comes from a boxing background and picks all yeah. this other stuff up. Uh, but it just, I, I guess what it comes down to is there really is no recipe. It's just, you know, like, uh, kind of like, and I know this is going to be funny too, but, um, uh, I have pit bulls and not because I have them, I want to fight them, but I always have pit bulls just because I think they're f- hilarious and they got funny personalities. Yeah. Yeah. But the one thing which is interesting with over the pits I've had over the years is some of them have what are called, what's called game where you go and you like play with, you know, like a rope or we play tug of war. Uh, some of my pit, like my one pit will battle until he physically cannot move anymore. Like mm-hmm. he'll be laying on his side, completely out, still trying to bite it and battle you. And, and he'll, I mean, li- literally like he will die before he gives up. And then my other pit bull will wrestle for like a two, a few, two or three minutes and I'll just go lay down. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm good. You can okay. have it. Yeah. And so it's kind of like, uh, and fighters are the same way. It's like, there's some that'll like, you got to break my leg you're gonna cut my arm off before you beat me. Yeah. There's other people take a big shot. And they're like, I'm good. Yeah. I think, I think MMA is, um, it's a sport that is unlike any other that I've uh, ever encountered. And I think every sport can be special in its own way, but MMA is, as you said, it can be really intimidating. So a lot of people don't you know you grow up and you think of football and baseball and basketball as like sports you might explore when you're a little kid, like, Oh, I might play baseball. You know, MMA still isn't really one like that is at the top of the list, but there are, I think with the, the, the ubiquitousness of the U the UFC and then their programs, like I'm involved in this program called Wimp to Warrior. And it, it's basically, they've taken this concept of the weekend warrior, the accountant, the soccer mom, whoever, the same type of people that get just bananas about CrossFit, that type of mentality, um, and creating a really well-structured, organized program where they can learn MMA for 20 weeks at a specific time at a, a well-reputed gym in their area. And at the end of the 20 weeks, you graduate the program by having your first amateur fight. And it's so incredible to me to see the people that have gone through that program and how it has completely changed their lives. Like we've had a grand, a grandma who has actually done two sessions. Um, we've had a woman who lost well over a hundred pounds who did three sessions in a row. We had a woman who had experienced uh, some amount of sexual trauma earlier in her life and was, it was kind of rearing its ugly head in her adulthood and was affecting her marriage. And she said that, forcing herself to do this program and learning jujitsu and having to train with men. And she didn't know would be in those awkward physical positions that would have really triggered her in the past. Like just working through that allowed her to have 
a fulfilling marriage with her husband again. Like that's crazy to me. That, that to me is like the medicine of what, of what MMA uh, can be for people. It's not just these tattooed guys who get out there and like, oh, beat the shit out of me. There's so much, there's much more martial art to it than people realize, I think. In the uh, uh, during the off season, when I lived in Newport Beach, I used to go and uh, roll with a guy named Joker and Eric Apple and those guys, and I used to go fight with those dudes at least twice a week, uh, just because uh, uh, you know it was fun. And they were like, "Hey, can you come and wrestle with us? You're 300 pounds. This would be good for us too." You know, yeah. so it's uh, no, I mean it's empowering. And uh, what's been pretty exciting is uh, the fact that you know, I mean. I mean, fuck, Dana White's successful for a reason. He's, he's got foresight into this stuff or the people around him that are presenting it. But being able to kind of mix into this and now you like like programs like this, it's fucking great. It's empowering people to be their best versions of themselves. And, yeah. uh, you know, all, you know, obviously it's uh, I think it's cool because like, you know, as an adult, if you watch football, there's no real pathway for me to like continue to play football. You can live it. through your son. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of parents do. <laughs> At at ten years, I, like I couldn't, I I didn't get to do it anymore, and I still watch, yeah. and I'm like, man. But like something like uh, the UFC, you have an opportunity where you can go down, you can find these individuals like you're going to, and uh, like you said, twenty weeks, you can get into a fight, and you know the age old Fight Club, like what do you really know about yourself until you have to, you know, you get punched in the face or have to drink your own blood. That's it right there. What do you what do you know about yourself until you get into a fight? And it is just as applicable to women as it is to men. I know so many, like I used to, and still to this day, like I'll be on a plane and people ask what I do. And we eventually get to the point like, oh wait, you fought? You don't look like a fighter or, you know, gosh, I could, women all the time, gosh, I could never get punched in the face or I could never take a punch or I could never punch someone. And I just, every time I'm like, yeah, you could, trust me. Everyone has some degree of fighter inside them. It can be harder to find in others. You might have to like dig it out and kind of peel away the layers, but everyone has the ability to tap into that side of themselves. And there, man, there is so much power in, not that you use it all the time, but being able to find that part of your psyche, that part of your brain, that part of your heart is like, it's, it's, it's a mind blowing experience. I was not, you know, I didn't fighting in the streets i grew up in overland park you you know you've lived yeah. there uh the I main went, streets of overland park yeah, 133rd uh, 133rd in Nalls, Nall, where I lived. Yeah, exactly uh <laughs> and you know I, I went to a christian school i went to church every weekend and every wednesday and i made great grades and like i played the piano i was you know i am the last person that you would think of as an MMA fighter, but I think that's what attracted me to it because I wanted to find out if I could do that, if I could be that. And I had an older brother who I would get pretty scrappy with and like I had that little taste of, and I knew that as soon as someone got over on me, man, I would come back 10 times harder. Like I, I broke his nose with a headbutt one time, one time when I was five. So like I always had a little bit of something there but it, it certainly wasn't life situations that brought me to MMA. It was the love of challenging myself and finding that part of my, my psyche was just an amazing journey. So what would you think the best avenue if somebody's like listening to this podcast, whether you're, uh, um, you know, I mean, I, I get hit on this all the time. Like, like, what should I compete in? What should I do? Um, you know, I wish we had a, a, lar- a lot larger a female demographic, which I'm stoked that you're on this podcast because maybe now we can maybe get more female demographic. But 
uh, a lot of that is like, how do you get started? I mean, it's as easy as, you know, go find the local place and whatnot. I mean, I'm lucky Todd White, you know, lives up the road from us and there's some, you know, 10th planet with Tate Fletcher. I mean, we have all these different resources, but for the person that might not have these resources, like, how do they start to listen to this podcast? And they're like, you know what? I always wondered about myself, you know, male or female, like how do they get started? More importantly, like, where would you direct them? Well, I mean, the, the, the true answer is this this program I just referred to is is that solution. Like, that's why they came up with Wimp to Warrior, because here's here's the the potential issue that you can run into and what made it hard when I was trying to learn MMA. A lot of MMA gyms are great gyms, but if you expect to walk in there and walk right into pro class and have an easy experience, like, it is not really designed to invite the weekend warrior, the accountant, like it's kind of designed like, oh, you better be here to fight. Or we're going to fucking beat it out of you and you're never going to want to come back. A lot of gyms are that way. And it needs to be that way. Honestly, sure. if you want, if you want a career in fighting, you have to be able to do that. But if you're just interested in learning the skills of MMA for women, the skills of self-defense, challenging yourself, getting into great shape, working out psychological issues like I did, um, Programs like Wimp to Warrior, and really it's, I say like Wimp to Warrior, but it's the only one of its kind, are the perfect way to do that because it's designed to accommodate the schedule and the, the approach of a professional adult, a mom, a dad, an accountant, a grandma, you know, someone looking to lose weight. It's not where you're going to get thrown in there as a white belt and people are just going to beat your ass for two years until you finally figure it out. It's organized in a way where you learn the skills at the right time in the right order. And when you're ready, and if you're ready, then you get the opportunity to truly challenge yourself in that graduation moment and have an amateur fight. And, you know, Daniel Cormier is um, running the program uh, through his new uh, academy that he just opened. And I, I think it starts, I want to say it starts at the beginning of next year. But he's he's promised that everyone that goes through his, his program, he's going to walk them to their first fight. Like, how crazy would that be to have D.C., you know, rolling your shoulders out as you as you walk to your first amateur fight? So cut, there are cut them- me, D.C., cut me with what? <laughs> exactly, Cole- exactly. Uh, cholesterol or what? <laughs> So there, there are he better, he, he better not roll out shirtless. <laughs> uh, all, all over. But I would say <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're interested, check in January okay. because it's going to it's going to be. Is the website uh, Wimp to Warrior or is it off of the UFC.com? No, no, no. It's actually not associated with the UFC oh. in, in any way at all. It Who, just so uh, happens. How did it get started? Did, uh, did you started it? No. Oh, gosh. I wish I could take. No, no, no. So, um, there's a, a gentleman named Nick Langton who actually, and I'm not going to get the origin story perfect because I'm kind of n- new to the team, but it, it started in Australia and New Zealand. Um, and he was actually a venture capital executive making tons of money, working way too many hours a week, that crazy hectic life. And he had a health scare and it just changed how he felt about everything. And he did the Wimp to Warrior program in its earlier form before it was quite as organized but it so changed his life that he said, screw you, finance world. I'm going to run this like a real company. So he has since in the years subsequent. And the, the programs in New Zealand and Australia in the really big gyms there, like where Israel Adesanya is from and in uh, the other big gyms there, and as well as so John Kavanaugh's gym in Ireland where you know Conor McGregor trains, mm-hmm. 
the programs there, you have to get on a wait list to, to, wow. to, to participate in those programs. I always had one rule in the NFL. Uh, I was always real nervous to na- or play against dudes that were named after countries. Like she said, Israel. I'm like, uh, dude, yeah. I played against a bunch of guys that were named after countries, and they usually always fucking <laughs> were pretty good. So never, if a dude was named never after a good idea. Never like, good oh, idea. nice to meet you, Ireland. You're like, yeah. oh, fuck. This guy's got um, the whole country Ireland behind yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> So, So Nick and then John Cavanaugh was one of the another one of the founders um, and uh, Richie Cranny, a, a bunch of guys. And it's, it's literally just now within the last few months kind of finding its – final iteration in the United States. It's huge already in Australia, New Zealand, Ireland, but the U S has just been slow to pick it up and they've hired uh, myself and Rich Chow, who is the former matchmaker for Bellator. He still kind of consults for Bellator. Uh, Daniel Cormier is involved. Um, They've got an amazing team of people and they have raised real venture capital money. Um, I want to say $3 million was their last raise. Don't quote me on that, but they're turning it into a real company and there will be a tech component that will allow people who maybe are too far away from one of the gyms that's hosting one of these to actually participate online and learn some of the skills and still go through the class um, in that way. So it's really, it's super exciting. And I love it because MMA, MMA changed my life. It changed how I feel about myself, how I view myself, how I view the world. And it's obviously given me a fantastic career. So if, if, there can be anybody who also has that eye-opening experience. Um, man, I want to be able to, to, to lead them to it, you know? Nice. That's badass. Yeah. yeah. Laura, I got one final question for you. All right. Fire. Favorite combat sports movie. Doesn't have to be MMA, wrestling, boxing, anything. It's between Bloodsport and Rocky Four. Oh, and Karate Kid. Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to. I'm going to have mean, to. You can't go wrong with Rocky Four. I mean, you can't go wrong with Rocky Four, and, and if I'm being honest, that's probably my favorite, but I feel like I have to almost give Karate Kid this spot because it's what inspired me to do karate. I was, I think, four, and my dad traveled to Asia, and he he brought back this teeny tiny little gi, and I had seen Karate Kid, and I thought it was like the most incredible thing in the world, and I would be on my bed trying to do these little crane kicks, so I got I got to give my, I got to tip my hat to Karate Kid. It's so cheesy, but Dude. it's a great movie. I was six and my older brother got beat up uh, by some kid and my dad wasn't a fighter. So he takes him down to like the local dojo and there was this old Japanese dude, Miss like Sensei Hibura, uh, that trained. And after about two weeks, my brother was beaten up on my other brother and I. So my dad just took all three of us. And it was like old school, uh, like wooden floors. Uh, yeah. Shotokan, Japanese. There was like a picture of an old Japanese dude. And the dude used to have this uh, bamboo boken that was all like kind of flexible. And uh, he would walk around and fucking smash us with this thing. And yeah. I remember I came home and I told my mom, I'm like, mommy hits us with sticks. And my mom's like, you've seen the movies. You yeah. know, this is how it goes. This is karate. Stop fucking complaining. It's part of the deal. And the, it was funny. I was talking to her and she was like, I, to this day, she's like, well, yeah, what, what did you think was going to happen? And I'm like, I don't know. The guy was hitting us with sticks and she was totally fine with it. She's like, well, better him than me. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, like, and, and I remember there were no mats, like, like, and we were doing throws and like kneeling on this fucking hardwood Oh yeah. and, uh, it was just old school and fucking brutally and beautiful. It was, yeah. uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, no, it's some of our fondest memories and it was by far one of our best, uh, you know, and really got me into that combat deal. Cause you know, and then I got into playing football and, and I got into playing football because I took a big punch in boxing and I remember thinking like, I'm going to go play football and playing football was like boxing and fighting against a bunch of dudes that didn't know how to fight there you go <laughs> yeah so it was great i love cool. it cool 
Yeah, Rocky. I'll go. So you got Karate Kid. I'll go with Rocky Four. What's yours? I, I'm going Rocky Three. Just the Eye of the Tiger, that opening montage. Here's yeah. the move that won me over. You open a movie with a montage. You don't even wait until there's conflict and you got to train out of it. Yeah, when he goes to Venice and he's fighting that and like all those dudes are like, that's that's probably oh, actually yeah. the boxing gym that you're talking about where it's just like you walk in and uh, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You walk in and that smell of like stale fucking uh, uh, moldy sweat that just like hits you like to the point where it like burns your nostrils. You walk in and you're like... A lot of people have been fucked up in this place. All right. You know, low ceilings, sneaky. Laura, final, final question. When yeah. watching fighting movies like that, can you like smell the scenery? So if you're watching Rocky Three mm-hmm. and Clubber Lang is, is training, can you just, oh, oh, I, oh. I can taste it Dude, on my tongue. Yeah. You can like you can smell Mr. T through the TV when he's doing those fucking behind the neck pull-ups in Philly because I lived in Philly. Uh, but I... I think it's hilarious that uh, uh, Kansas City's turned into this like kind of fighter mecca. And yeah. I remember when I when, when I met James. Yeah, we Krause. actually had James yeah, on yeah, the James. podcast about five years ago. Yeah, and yeah. when I met James and like we connected on Kansas City, he's like, man, uh, people are you know, I mean, center of the, of the country, people are coming to fight uh, and train in Kansas City. It's going to be a mecca. He has sixteen UFC fighters now, not pro fighters. Sixteen UFC fighters. Uh, people I think he's doing are coming. Okay. Yeah, people are coming here in droves, like. It's, it's crazy what he has created here and on his own. Like, he never really had – he learned jujitsu off YouTube, and he's one of the best jujitsu players in the UFC, and anyone will tell you that. So the guy is incredibly smart, and beyond that, like, just a very good coach in terms of motivating each individual, how they need to be motivated, but at the same time keeping the group cohesive together. I can't, yeah, I can't well, say enough things about him as a coach. Well, what's, what's so fascinating is for an individual sport, uh, these teams where like, you know, like, uh, I mean, this is the same thing in football. If somebody was doing something better, we were going to go out and train with them. But those are team environments. I mean, you've taken this kind of team situation and team training and then gone to the individuals and it's like, you know, shit, uh, iron sharpens iron. So you can bring a bunch yeah. of fucking badass pipe hitters in. I mean, you're going to do it. You're going to want to go fight those guys. And then you know that what you're doing in training isn't going to be as hard as what you potentially might see in the cage. Seems like a win-win. Yeah. So if people want to uh, follow you or get more information, where do they go and how sure. do they get in touch? Um, I am most active on Instagram, I'd say, and that's at Laura underscore Sanko, same handle on Twitter. I try to get on there um, a fair amount as well, but Instagram's probably the best place to, uh, to interact with me. I try really hard to get back to as many people as I can, whether they DM me or, or, or you know, post a comment or whatever. So, um, yeah, if, uh, if you guys feel like you're, you, I've piqued your interest in training MMA, definitely check out Wimp to Warrior as well. Cool. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we know you got to go hit some pads, so we won't keep you any longer. But thanks for joining us on Power Jim. Athlete Radio. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. See now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Laura on Instagram at Laura underscore Sanko. Until next time, bye.